This is Hearts of Oak Podcast. Free speech, religious disagreement, children's rights, and open and free discussion on any topic are bedrock to a democratic free society, and we seek to promote and champion these basic rights. Join us. Let's keep the conversation going. And hello, Hearts of Oak. Thank you so much for joining us once again on a pre-record coming to you a few days before. And we are heading down to the south coast of England for today, um, speaking to Laura King. Laura, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Peter. Great to have you on. And we have, for our title, we had Green Utopia, the realities of successive hard left councils. And I know we're going to discuss your experiences, I think, uh, with the council there in Brighton and Hove, uh, the Green Council. Um, and it's it's a topic we've only actually touched on once before up in, I think up in Rotherham, we talked to one of the council members up there. So we're down now to the south of the country. So thank you so much for joining us to discuss that. You can also find uh, the cam- one of the major campaigns that Laura's involved in. There'll be many, and I'm sure she'll talk about them. But one of them is Stop the Gridlock, Save Our City, uh, which is a Facebook group. And we will get a little bit more into that later. Again, the link will be down in the description for you watching or if you're listening on the go on podbean or any podcasting apps then you can also get it there in the description um now laura i think we had uh it's always good coming across people that's what it's all about connecting with people and uh you've been for quite a while been opposing the council down there in brighton and hove um but maybe do you want to give us a little bit of your background or introduce yourself and then we'll get into why you have felt you need to tackle the council there. Okay thank you. Um, Well my mother's from Brighton so I've been in Brighton all my life. Used to come here for holidays when I was a child um, and ended up living back here 11 years ago with my partner. Um, So anyway when I was growing up it was beautiful, it was beautifully kept, Uh, the seafront was particularly important, getting the seafront ready for the season was the big thing every summer, everything would be painted, all the flowers would be planted, everything looked really really nice Um, when I was growing up as a child, um, although of course it had some problems hidden away like, like every city. Um, But certainly in recent years, I never thought of myself as a political person. But um, at the start of COVID, um, during lockdown, um, my partner, who's a mod uh, and got into the mod culture, he uh, realised that Madeira Drive had been closed by the council. Um, And this is obviously a very historic stretch of road where the speed trials have been happening since 1896. you have the motorbike um, clubs, the Ace Cafe meeting, you have mod events, you have Quadrophenia film there and many really famous films um, sets there or films there. It's a really iconic place with the Madeira terraces behind it. You have commercial vehicle um, events, you have vintage car rallies, the veteran car run or the old Crocs is otherwise known. So anyway, my partner, found out that Madeira Drive was closed, um, apparently to provide more exercise space for COVID. (laughs) Um, So he got talking to one of the only cafe owners that was still open along there. And the cafe owner said, oh, I've just been told by um, a council officer that they're not going to be reopening Madeira Drive. And my partner thought, what? 
with all the events that happen here and all the money it brings in for the city. And so anyway, he came home and he told me and I was equally appalled. And I said, well, let's start a petition. Um, so we started a petition on the council website and we ended up with nearly 11,000 signatures wow. um, to reopen it, which apparently was their second highest uh, ranking petition ever. And then someone else started a petition to keep it closed. <laughs> and we realized that we we were up against a really um, zealotry local cycling organization called Bricycles um, and a really kind of very, uh, you know, and then eventually we found out they were actually advising the council. Wow. This charity were advising the council and so were XR and so were Sustrans. And one of the councillors is also taking a salary from Sustrans who's driving. So basically what was happening was they're driving a massive cycling agenda behind the scenes. What, what's um, Sustrans? Sustainable Transport, it's short okay. Um it's it is a nationwide organisation, but but this councillor Jamie Lloyd, he's he's paid by them uh, a salary, and he also is a councillor, which is if that's not a conflict of interests, I don't know what is. Um, but anyway, eventually, owing to the fact that they discriminate against the disabled by closing Madeira Drive because disabled drivers had nowhere to park and they couldn't access their changing places facility, owing to that, they were eventually forced to be at Madeira Drive but then they severely compromised it by narrowing it to one lane in one way and, and taking out lots of parking, which obviously impacts on city revenue as well, because these are all paid parking spaces uh, for visitors. And then they get their money back from charging extra for uh, residential parking permits. So meanwhile, residential parking permits have been going through the roof in the last two years. But the council have been driving more and more COVID cycle lanes through even next to existing cycle lanes on the seafront, you couldn't make it up. And they put one on the seafront road, which is the A two five nine. It's a main road that links Eastbourne to Littlehampton. So it's a long main road, and yet they've taken half of it away uh, in one lane of the seafront for a cycle lane on the road. And then they make the disabled park in the middle of the road with a cycle lane on one side and a road on the other. <laughs> and so they're still discriminating against the disabled and putting them in a very dangerous situation to get to the seafront if they can find a parking space because a lot of them have been removed. And now they want to extend it further. But meantime, they had to take out the section of um, cycle lane by the aquarium roundabout because the bus company complained that their buses couldn't go around there. And it's also holding up emergency vehicles because people have actually died because the ambulance can't reach them quick enough because the um, traffic is restricted to one one lane on the seafront, which is a really busy road going um, west. And people and and basically the emergency vehicles have to veer into the cycle lane, which is really dangerous, which is now the road, even though there was a cycle lane, a two way cycle lane on the prom already. I mean, you couldn't make it up what's been going on here. It's It's incredible. And um, they, you can open the daily paper every day and people are slating them for these decisions. And there was a massive controversy when they put a cycle lane on the Old Shoreham Road and halved the, the, the road space. And there were gridlocks all the way that out of that arterial road to the city and businesses were impacted and everybody was impacted. So, so anyway, getting Madeira Drive reopened was kind of the start of my journey into local politics. Um, but to row back a bit further, in July 2019, we had a Labour council until there was an anti-Semitic scandal where some anti-Semitic tweets were found and they were ousted. And then the Greens got in by default. 
Okay. But unknown to us for a long time, the two of them have been working in an um, unofficial coalition behind the scenes. And it's now come out in the local news that the Greens and the Labour have formed a coalition behind the scenes to vote for most of these outrages without us even knowing or voting for that. So how lawful are these decisions anyway that they're making as a coalition council who haven't actually been voted for? Um, and, and so many of these things were brought in as temporary measures and then made permanent with no proper public consultation. Um, but then you, you look at their consultations and they're pre-decided and all the questions are angled towards the decision they've already made. So they're sham consultations. Um, well, I, I, I want to, because obviously um, we in the UK... 650 MPs, one of them is a Green Party MP, and that's Caroline Lucas, who was the yeah. leader. So is it, um, obviously, as as an MP, that then has, I guess, solidified the uh, the Greens' place there in Brighton and Hove? Is that, um, so has, yeah, tell us about that, because there's nowhere else in the country that has a Green MP. Yes. Well, Caroline is famous for turning up at people's post offices the day before they close and campaigning against their closure. <laughs> so she's, all, she's very good at virtue signaling and pretending she cares, but yeah. um, people who know her have said she's quite a vicious person and it's her way or the highway. And although she's not technically involved with the local council being an MP, it's said she is actually pulling strings behind the scenes and she's furious with two councillors in particular who've gone against uh, the sort of agenda um, by filling their own boots first. We'll get we'll get into that yes, certainly yeah. on, on on the finance side. Um, but it's I mean what, what some of the things you mentioned the the attack on on the motorist uh, yeah. we have it, it, we've seen that everywhere maybe even more so there. I mean for yeah. me in, in West London in Chiswick High Street they brought in cycle lanes in a road that was one road each way so yeah. now you have cycle lanes you're now going to bus stop right in the middle yeah. literally in the middle of the road and yeah. you've now got traffic queued all the way up yeah. sitting in idling traffic with yeah. fumes going out so none of that makes sense but i guess you're no. seeing the same thing that these policies yes. uh, which are anti-motorist they don't actually yeah. make much sense if you look at it environmentally well they make well actually there's a story behind that they they are this is not about environmentalism this is about ushering communism by, in by the back door yeah. because yeah. if you look at it environmentally and i grew up in a genuinely green family where it was all about downing socks and recycling bottles i i drive a 20 year old car you know i i know what what real greenness is and it, this is not it and 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 basically the the reason for clogging up all the traffic and creating lots of extra pollution is so they can bring in an emissions charge that's yeah. the real agenda and also sabotage everyone's lives so that they can have more control over us i mean the um interestingly enough in brighton they have this uh, ambition to be the, the first uh, car free city 2023 in the uk and they're vying against york to be able to call themselves that but um but really they don't care about the disabled they don't care about families they don't care about businesses they don't care about anybody except driving this agenda through. And everything they do, whether it's cycle lanes, pocket gardens, low traffic neighborhoods, one way systems, everything they do is geared towards um, driving traffic out of Brighton. And you now have the ridiculous situation where 
some electricians and plumbers and so on will not even service certain areas anymore because they can't park there or they'll be adding those parking tickets to the bill of their customer. So actually it's quite, and, and now they want to bring in the first low traffic neighborhood to Hanover and some people have moved down to London to get away from all of that. And here it is uh, sprouting up in, in the test bed of woke as I call Brighton and Hove, because I think a lot of things are trialed here first. Um, and now they're up in arms that they don't want Hanover turned into an, uh, a low traffic neighborhood. Um, and also, even if they do only uh, they do a digital uh, living and they own a bicycle, they still need deliveries. They still need ambulances. They still need um, to get their kids to school. You know, so a basic. And also, they're going to be seeing their house prices fall in, in a place that's not serviceable. Um, so they won't be able to get contractors when they need them. They won't be able to get emergency help when they need it. And uh, you know, the people who have. Uh, 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 the connection with reality know all this, but there's still people who seem to be living in their own world who are not. And, and interestingly, whenever the council has been challenged about uh, a certain part of the city, which they deem to be polluted, um, they've been challenged to do an environmental impact assessment and they've always refused. So how interesting is that? And also they're known as the council for cutting enormous numbers of trees down they cut down the Victorian Green Wall in Madeira Drive, which was one of the earliest environmental initiatives in the country. They cut it down unbelievably. Um, so me and my partner held a funeral service <laughs> for the Green Wall and, 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 and got it into the local paper and, and, and really proved a point that they were deliberately uh, killing. Um, and they did it in wildlife season. So we reported them to the police for a wildlife crime although sadly nothing came of that. But um, but anyway, after the Madeira Drive battle, um, there was a ba huge battle over the Shoreham Road cycle lane and I got approached to get involved and then a, a team of us started to form about all the stuff that was happening around the city because we realised it didn't begin and end with Madeira Drive. It went on and on and on and also went into other areas as well, such as we, we, we now have a, a campaigner against the CRT and someone else who feels strongly about drag queens in libraries. And we've assembled this enormous collection of, of, of uh, insiders who, who, and we formed a little group behind the scenes to literally shine a spotlight on everything that's going on. And uh, we started off having um, protests outside the Hove Town Hall about the cycle lanes and the transport issues. But we did find it was difficult to get large numbers of people out because they'd been so demoralized by COVID and maybe they weren't particularly well either. So we ended up changing tactics and now quite a few of us present questions at council meetings, which then get reported in the press, uh, which has actually become a more effective uh, strategy for highlighting what's going on. And then if it hits the local press, you can then normally get it into the national press or, or, but obviously there's so many dreadful things going on all around the country, it's it's become harder to get um, national media attention um, what's going on. No, but tell us about because the, the, the war on the motorist, uh, I've been yeah. to Brighton many times and all of them yeah. except once I drove down uh, because one, trains are horrendously expensive mm. um, and two, because I was... Uh, there with a, a full car load so it did make sense to drive and you drive down you park you pay your uh, you expect to pay your two yeah. three pounds um, yeah. or they're living in London for so long you can pay a lot more yes. but, but but that's how I guess 
um, I would go down with a with a car full either family or others. We'd go. We'd maybe sit there. We'd have lunch. Um, we would uh, spend money there. Uh, we're I guess contributing in some way to the economy, and we go out and and yeah. that's how that kind of tourism or business works. But if you yeah. remove the ability to yeah. drive to park, then yeah. I mean, if you have to park. 10 miles away and jump on a, a ride in bus or something. It just yes. adds the complexities, the difficulties. I know, uh, I know. And I guess that, that is impacting Brighton immensely. Well, we don't even have a park. We don't even have a park and ride. It's okay. worse than that. We don't even have a park and ride. And we are a three-sided, hilly, windy city yeah. Yeah. with zones everywhere. We're one of the highest priced parking in the country, um, which is outrageous. Um, they won't. Mo no machines take cash anymore, so that's discriminatory. Um, and it is really difficult to park. I mean, um, I think you know. Basically, if I were coming into park, I would. Well, now I've got a template to get off parking charges anyway. So, um, but you know, it's finding somewhere to physically park is is as much of a problem as anything else now. And 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 I think. We all realise that the the end game is to create these smart cities where people are literally trapped in their city unless they use a bicycle or they might be allowed an electric bicycle if they're lucky. But literally, you know, the, the kind of, the, you know, the, the so-called environmental uh, agenda is literally about controlling people's movements, a freedom of movement and their activities and monitoring their activities. And, um, and, and it's all being done or, or the human control is being done under the so-called green agenda. And it's interesting because more and more local people are waking up to, oh, wow, this is more than I thought it was, or this is, I thought it was about this, but actually it's about this, this and this as well, you know. Um, no, and I guess part of the green agenda, certainly I find here in, in London, is building apartments yes. with zero ability to park so now yeah. uh, i don't think uh, uh i've looked at a lot of the developments happening and mm. they all have zero parking available and you think yeah. well where do those people go i, I know in one exactly. of the stations here they're yeah. talking about a 20-story block um yeah. and i'm thinking how do all those people fan out but i guess it's a similar yeah. situation in brighton that uh, yeah. that when builders are given permission to build, it yeah. comes with zero parking ability. Well, I think it comes with under, I think it's not quite zero here, okay. but but it's enough to say, well, how is that person even going to get an electrician? They may not have a car, but they're gonna need an electrician at some point. They're gonna need a plumber at some point. They're gonna need other things or deliveries. So, I mean, in a way you're getting blocks that are built now where they're not even thinking about a service vehicle capacity and removal van capacity and taxi capacity and and obviously if you have a visitor they need somewhere to go um so it is absolutely outrageous and some of them um and also it's overdevelopment because yeah. you know with the best will in the world you cannot fit everybody who wants to live here in this city and i to be honest i'd rather see a waiting list than actually ruin the city with all these hideous blocks everywhere yeah. um and also we have a lot of people with uh, second homes and holiday homes here where they're not they're hardly occupied yeah. so we need to really think out of the box I think in terms of um, not spoiling uh, you know the unique selling points uh, uh, of a city because you know and I'm sure it's the same in London it, 
you can't possibly house every single person who wants to live in London in London. It's just not possible. And to yeah. pretend otherwise is disingenuous to everybody and particularly that that area and that city. Um, but I mean, it's it's ludicrous because, you know, there are other nice places to live, which obviously need more investment if they're to be more attractive. Um, but, yeah. but ruining what makes a place special is not the answer. Yeah, um, and certainly the student blocks are going up ridiculously, even though we've lost a lot of students because of COVID and they've lost their airlines or they're not coming from China anymore because they go yeah. to other countries instead. So who all these blocks are for? I have no idea. And they look, Lewis Road looks like a prison. It looks it's like driving through a massive prison complex. Now it's got really high prison block type student accommodation on both sides. It's really oppressive looking. And you think, well, are they even being built dual purpose for some of the cause that we don't even know? Uh, and I know people in the building trade who say, I can't believe all the housing and all the blocks that are going up. Who the hell are they all for? The birth rate's going down. Yeah. Student numbers are not increasing in the yeah. worst recession since 1929 and post-COVID where people have other priorities. And, and possibly they're realizing that the future, a lot of current university education is literally not going to be applicable anymore because uh, so much of it is not how the world works. And we're, we're discovering that every day. No, absolutely. What we've been taught is nonsense. No, can, can I ask you, Annette, there another practical uh, issue I had read somewhere that recycling rates, for instance, down yeah. in Brighton and Hove are some of the lowest in the country. Oh, they are. They are. It gets worse. It gets worse because the council's in a 30-year contract um, with a company who, who, who buy our, we pay to have the waste taken away. The company buy it from the council. It's driven to New Haven where it's burned in an energy recovery facility, an energy recovery facility. It then goes on to power 44,000 houses, none of which are ours. <laughs> wow. Wow. So any rabbit hole you go down with this council, you will be astonished. So literally, we're paying to have our rubbish taken away, and the council then sells it to someone else to then power 44,000 houses, which, which aren't ours. We have a wind farm offshore spoiling the view. We get no free, elect no free or cheap electricity from it. Um, you know, so literally all these promises of cheap electricity came to nothing when they built this wind farm. Wow. Um, so what what is what is the Greens' selling point? Is it do they still hide behind a pretense of looking after the environment? Do, do they do they still do that, or people see through it? What about residents there? Um, yeah, tell us how the public see this nonsense. Well, the the vast majority of the normal public do think it's nonsense, but because they're so good at getting into the universities and getting the students to vote green, and then the students don't live here permanently, so they don't see. The, the sort of devastation of, of their vote. And, and quite unfortunately, they're often able to vote in two places because they're also registered in their home towns and cities and then they can go and vote there as well. So I think in a way that kind of needs to stop that they can't have two votes. They either vote at home or they vote in their university town. They cannot do both because that is an abuse. That's, that's an absolute abuse of, of voting rights. Um, and the other thing is this council goes out of its way. It's got a youth council where you're promised to say in the future of the city, which is more than we taxpayers are promised. Wow. So that, that so basically they recruit for the youth council and yeah. I applied to go on one of their courses saying, um, hello, I, I identify as a 16 year old, can I please join your youth council? 
because um, the joy of the work world is you can identify as anything you want. <laughs> um, so basically, my car has decided to identify as a bicycle. Yeah, good. Yep. <laughs> and I've got a sign in the back. Notice to BHCC, my car identifies as a bicycle. <laughs> No, but it, it it is the make believe world that we're we're living in, and you have um, the green. And I would respect the Green Party if it was purely about looking after our world. Uh, that's yes, uh, yes. absolutely normal. We all want to mm. do that. But mm. the conversation isn't about that. It's about yeah. so far down. You've got the whole area on critical race theory. I think it was back yeah. in February. I one of the articles and the the article yeah. was. UK government to investigate critical race theory lessons in Brighton schools. It says yeah. they've been taught by up to 300 teachers yeah. um, and that was going to be invested by um, Nadim Zahawi, who was the education secretary yeah, at yeah. the time. Uh, tell us about that, because that should not okay. be happening. And that's not anything to do with environmentalism. No. Well, the council have spent £100,000 on training teachers locally to teach white students that they um are basically born racists um and no one's no one i know agrees with that um there's a gentleman adrian hart who does a lot of campaigning about that locally and i think he's the one who got it highlighted uh, in, in the national media and then got the investigation started though i think the investigations kind of petered out because as you say that minister's now left um but again it's not something the public have asked for but our council tax is being spent on it uh, when you talk to um, people uh, from ethnic minorities, they haven't asked for it. They don't want it. So who the hell is it for? Um, and it, it all seems to be really about undermining children and making them question their identity, their gender, their, you know, their right to be here, even uh, if you're talking about environmentalism, because, you know, uh, um, a lot of us have been producing memes down here, you know, my local council wants to go carbon neutral by 2030. As a carbon-based being, I have questions. <laughs> that is a big question, so, yes. You know, so basically, it's come down to that, that we're, we're kind of saying, well, you know, who is the gatekeeper of environmentalism? Who is deciding what's green and what isn't? Where is the evidence-based research? You know, because what's happening is it's, it's like the playing SimCity with us. Oh, let's try this. Let's try this. Let's try this. I've got a great idea. Let's try this. They're just spending our money willy-nilly. They're not um, even thinking about what effect it's going to have, whether it's going to help anybody, whether it's going to help the planet. And here's the interesting thing, Peter, it's always our fault. Mm. You know, how do poor people overconsume? How do people who are struggling to make a living overconsume to the point that we are the problem? Mm. And not the elites with all the private jets and the money and the multiple islands and the multiple houses and the high consumption lifestyles. So, you know, it, I mean, how dare they charge us all these uh, green taxes on everything from council tax to fuel to car uh, duty? How dare they do all that and then still say it's our problem if, if indeed it is a real problem? Yeah, it, it'll know, always be our climate change, which obviously has always happened. And, and who's to say what's human created and what's natural? Because yeah. the, no one separates the two, do they? Or, or says, you know, well, the climate's always changed. But actually, you know, but considering our, you know, Brighton and Hove's part in climate change is, is infinitesimally small. Uh, every single human being who lives here is being impacted incredibly 
badly by what we can only regard as sanctions against us and discrimination against us and an absolute war against the car. No matter that it's passed all its emissions tests and it's legally on the road um, and it's paid all its fuel tax, it's paid all its, we've, you know, we're, we're constantly penalised everywhere we go for owning, daring to own our own private transport. Well, and I, I think we're one of the greenest cities in Britain because most people you talk to have an absolute yeah. awareness of recycling and green issues and they do their best to recycle and they do their best to live a conscientious life and then they see the rubbish lorry coming along and sticking it all into the same lorry anyway what they've painstakingly separated you know <laughs> no, it's great. I, I think the green party think that brighton are contributing more to global warming than the whole of china it's probably all your fault laura it's all your absolutely. fault it's all my fault yeah absolutely yeah yeah absolutely even though uh, our, uh, our glorious council leader phelan mccafferty was caught taking a jet to uh to oh. 26 in glasgow and found himself on the Daily Star the following day. Green moron flies to Twenty Six. So, but I remember reading that. So basically, yeah, the Caroline council... was furious apparently, but uh, he still managed to stay in position, even though there were calls for him to go. So he stayed as a leader of the Green Party there. Oh yeah, having having wow. taken a, a flight to COP Twenty Six, um, wow. and even Caroline managed to take the train. So, <laughs> wow. Wow. I mean you can't you can't make it up. Um Is there got, any is there any political opposition there or have the Green Party and the Labour got it all sewn up politically? Well there are, the Conservatives are obviously well the interesting thing is Labour are paid to be the opposition party and yet they're not. So yeah. why are they getting paid to be the opposition party when they've actually formed this unholy coalition? Um but yeah, the Conservatives are obviously uh, opposed and most of them are decent. I'm not a conservative, I'm more of an independent, but unfortunately the way things are going, voting conservative in May 2023 is going to be the only way to get rid of the the, Lab the Green Labour Coalition Council. And that has to happen really before we can think about having lots of independence because you've got to get, get the cancer out before you can start the healing, you know. Um, wow. To tell us more, um, there was a, a, before we went on, we were talking, I remember reading back in July, um, about the, uh, the well, it maybe wasn't a Daily Mail story, but the mm -hmm. headline was former MEP facing calls to resign over accusations she claimed money for yes. babysitters she didn't use while holidaying yeah. at her half a million pound French chateau. Yes. Um, t tell us about that because it seems that we're not all in this together. Absolutely. Well, a member of my team was following her Instagram posts um, during lockdown and saw some that made her look like she was somewhere else in, in a different country. So he carried on following her photographs and he found out that, uh, oh, my God, they're in France. Um, so anyway, we, we got the story uh, exposed that they'd uh, sodded off to France in the first lockdown. And at first, the story that eventually emerged was they'd gone over there for a, a one week skiing holiday and got trapped there because of lockdown, which was absolute nonsense, because I worked in a university at the time and we were repatriating students for three weeks in the run up before lockdown. So everybody had lots of notice to get back to their country. And anybody who went on holiday at that point was a complete idiot. So anyway, they, they, they claimed to have slept in their friend's spare room and then event, and they couldn't get home because there were no trains. And we looked up all the uh, timetables and everything else. And that was absolute nonsense. Uh, and then the next story was, oh, and then we, we, we remembered we had this rented, we, we had this summer holiday home. So we managed to get there and we, we decided to stay there till we could come back. So anyway, they deserted their wards in the first lockdown while other councillors were buying shopping for their 
uh, <laughs> for their vulnerable uh, wards, um, you know, uh, the ward ward people, and and they and the, the Druids, uh, Tom Druitt and his wife Alex Phillips, both councillors, they'd sold off to their French residence, didn't come back till July, and then they were repeatedly absent, um, and we ended up. Um, Oh yes, we ended up finding out that they'd started businesses over there while they were there. Um, and then it transpired, they'd been claiming expenses while they were over there. They'd been claiming babysitting expenses from a British babysitter when they were in France, so they couldn't possibly have used the service. And also under lockdown, only uh, key workers were allowed to have uh, childcare. Um, so they would, so basically, uh, okay, it wasn't a king's ransom, it was under 600 pounds that had been misclaimed. But at first they claimed it was an accident. Then they, then she, uh, Alex Phillips said, oh, I felt sorry for the British babysitter not getting any money. And hang on a moment, this is the public purse you're helping yourself from. And you're obviously wealthy if you have a second home in France yeah. and several properties in Brighton and Hope, which they do. And her husband owns the Green, Green Lem- um, the Big Lemon Bus Company in Brighton, uh, which is about to expand into Bristol. And he apparently, allegedly, awards his own company bus contracts and set up the community transport fund, which he directly benefits from. Um, but that's allegedly, I, you know, there's still people digging on that in my team, so we haven't got the full full picture, but we have found out he's, he's expen- expanding his business to Bristol now. Um, but anyway, t- so the allegations about the expenses came out, we raised them in, um, there's no in the council meeting, they've now separated the public part into public engagement meeting. So not only is the public gallery still closed to the public, but you can't attend a public meeting in person. You have to attend via Zoom. Most of the councillors are still excluded from the chamber because of COVID, um, even though they've kicked up a fuss about this. Um, so we have no democracy here because they can't contribute from home because the government stopped um, councillors um participating remotely may in may 2021 because they said it compromised democracy yet knowing that uh council leader Phelan McCafferty still won't let them let them all back in the town hall to actually attend council meetings sure. and although we only have six full council meetings a year one and a half got cancelled last year because of covid um so so literally these meetings were not rearranged there is no democracy here and the public meetings have been sidelined to a little meeting before the main council meeting where you may ask your questions but you'll probably get cut off because it's zoom and they have technical issues if they don't really like your question and a non-functioning democracy there basically oh we need we need a group of people to just take over the town hall i think just to make even though there's hardly anybody there because they've all gone online and and working from home most of them so there's hardly anybody ever there now um but no we need we need to just go in and take it over if if i can find enough people up for that (laughs) and just make a point well, tell us about you've got Stop the Gridlock, Save Our City Facebook group. And yeah. you are there, you're building up a, a team of like-minded citizens who are concerned yes. about what's happening. You're right, you give talks. Um, I think when someone on our team saw you at the Free Speech Union there, um, and yeah. they do an absolutely fantastic work. And I guess cancel culture is very much part of what is happening down there in Brighton. Absolutely. Yeah, because, um, you know, um, if you... You're, you're, you're a climate change denier if you raise anything about the climate, you're, you're transphobic if you mention you're racist if you mention, they've got it all sewn up. The, the work brigade have got it all sewn up. You know, no matter what you say, they've got a, a declaimer for you. 
um, because obviously the, the, they are above question. They are beyond um, challenge. They are, you know, they are saints. The work brigade are saints, and and we just don't appreciate them as we should, you know. But it's really, really interesting how cancel culture works um, and how they've how ingenious it is really um, to portray um, bad as good and and anyone challenging it as bad as well. Um, but obviously, if if something's true, it will withstand being challenged, and it will even welcome being challenged. It's only a lie that has holes in it and doesn't and needs to be propped up um, with with nonsense. Yeah. No. Uh, th th tell us about that speaking because it's it's yeah. one thing, I guess, being behind the scenes, being yeah. involved in a campaign, um, yeah. but actually then going in public speaking that's a, another level on that but yes. that's the way you can directly connect with people and yes. present the feelings of what's happening and to encourage involvement so what yes. has that been like for you well it's been very empowering for me i mean i, I used to do performance poetry so um i'm not um a shrinking violet. I mean, I've got people behind the scenes. I would love for them to talk in public and I've been trying to encourage them to come out of their shell and use their voices. And occasionally a few of them have done very short speeches outside the town hall, but it's interesting how few people or how many people are kind of quite timid about appearing on a public meeting or, can't, or they're worried about their job. And it's really sad because um, my experience is that you only get respected by your peers uh, in your job. I mean, as long as you don't work for the council, obviously. <laughs> yeah. And I have a couple of people who work for the council, so they've got to be especially careful. Um, so, but you know, I mean, it is such an empowering thing to find your voice and to use your voice. And you'd be amazed at how many people agree with you um, where you might have thought you were a, a voice in the wilderness or am I the only one that feels this way? No, you're not. And if you speak up, you give other people the courage to say what's on their mind as well. And you're not racist, you're not homophobic, you're not somebody with no concern about the environment. That's all nonsense. That's all nonsense to shut you up and keep you in your place. And we've all been programmed to know our place. We've all been programmed for this slave world. Um, and even during the COVID situation, you had posters of drag queens on the seafront with big masks on saying, play your part play your part that's really interesting use of language isn't it you know um, Shakespeare told us all the world's a stage centuries ago didn't he and you have to ask yourself how much truth there was in that but but you, you uh, yeah but you said about uh many people not wanting to be public and um, yeah. I, I've learned that as well because the left are vicious in their attacks which is pure hatred and yet those who oppose them are supposedly the ones with some hit and it it seems yeah. to be the opposite way around the aggression the anger that yeah. often comes more from the left i've been yes, yes. um i i have been surprised at that level because i yes. i didn't expect the level of vitriol from another human being and yet it's there yeah. well the thing is you have to adopt a water off a duck's back attitude yeah. otherwise you'd go mad yeah. You have to say, well, this is a kind of mental illness. They almost can't help themselves. They've been so brainwashed um, into believing all this nonsense. And they will have to wake up eventually because there'll be enough people like me that, that say that's rubbish. And where's the evidence? Prove it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, basically, we have to turn things around and we have to say, well, actually, no. We have a legal human right to free speech. Uh, whatever you think, I don't actually care what you think. Your opinion of me is none of my business. 
(laughs) I'm not going to abuse you because that's not how I roll and it's completely counterproductive. And if you do abuse anyone on social media, you'll get shut down even quicker. So there's absolutely zero point. You have to choose your battles. You have to decide uh, what's worth fighting and what isn't. But basically, if you speak your truth and you do so in a civilized manner and a logical manner, it becomes increasingly hard. Then the left becomes more and more abusive. And it's quite funny, really, because when they throw their toys out of the pram, you know they've got nothing left. Because when somebody loses their temper with you and they start swearing at you and abusing you, they've literally got nothing else. They have no arguments. And that's a victory, if you think about it. (laughs) That's a victory. They've got nothing to say that's other than abuse. You've reduced them to that with your arguments. So you should take that as a compliment. We've we've seen that, and I don't feel angry. Uh, I I don't feel any hate towards people like that. I just feel sorry for them because they've actually adopted a a lie and they've deluded themselves so badly. And you're right, it's up to us to put forward a a winsome, good argument on why they are wrong without attacking the individual and winning them over to what is true. Well, as as Benjamin Franklin said... um, Resistance to tyranny is obedience to God. Um, so I think it's not it's not about having the moral high ground. It's about knowing you're on the moral high ground because and also these people who are so deluded that they think it's great having a car free city. They're going to kind of within weeks, they're going to realize the downside of that if they got their wish, aren't they? Yeah. You know, within weeks, they're going to realize how impossible and how unworkable what they thought they wanted actually is. Mm. And I think, in a way, there's a lot of immaturity in those kind of personalities, a lot of emotional immaturity there where they haven't thought things through. Um, They've just been carried away on this wave of, uh, you know, uh, faux idealism. Yeah, no, absolutely. Laura, thank you for coming along. It's it's wonderful to hear about your work. And, and I know that from you speaking that others will be inspired. And I think that is my hope, certainly from talking to you, to for that enthusiasm and that desire to make a difference in your local area, for others to pick that up um, and to run with that. And, of course, people can follow what you're doing on that Facebook page, Stop the Gridlock, yes. Save Our City. And it, it, that is the main place to to follow the work you're doing, is it? It is our main Facebook group, yes. Um, and so, I mean, we've got five or six, but the others are smaller and more specialist. Um, but Facebook is our main battleground because actually that's where most people still are on social media in terms of the local community and people's aunts and grannies and businesses. You know, most of them haven't necessarily gone to the latest social media. They're still on the so, so in terms of reach, it's still the best platform for all the drawbacks and all the censorship. It's still the best platform for networking, in my view. Yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, please fight for your city and fight for your town and fight for your families and fight for your futures because that's where we're at now. That's really where we're at. Completely. I think that's a, a perfect. We are the place. news. We are the news. <laughs> yeah, I know completely. Um, that's a perfect place, to leave. Laura. Okay. Thank you for your time. I, I appreciate you coming along. First time we've met, and I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed hearing about your work. So thank you for your time today. Well, thank you very much, Peter. It's all been rather accidental, but this seems to be my path. So what can I say? <laughs> uh, here, doesn't matter how it happens. At least. <laughs> 
just ho- let me finish with our viewers and listeners. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for watching. As I said, this is a pre-record, so you can pick it up on all the video platforms. And if you listen on the go, it'll be available for you straight away on any of the podcasting apps or platforms. So thank you so much for making use of that. Do certainly have a look at Laura's Facebook page and uh, be inspired of how you can make a difference in your local area. So on that, I'll wish our viewers, our listeners, a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you for being part of this conversation and look forward to having you back at our next interview. So thank you and goodbye. Okay, bye. Thanks. If you like what we do, sign up to our mailing list, donate, share, and subscribe to our many platforms at heartsofoak.org. Thank you for listening.